0: Hi, this is Sam Craven, I'm from the Refold Foundation, and you're about to listen to The Big Scuba Podcast.
1: Hello everybody, welcome back. This is episode 14, Gemma. It is 14. How are you doing? You all right?
2: I'm really well, thank you.
1: ¿Y? ¿Qué qué? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Please, because we have got to episode 14. I don't know where the time has gone. Thank you very much for sticking with us, coming through to the episode 14. It's brilliant. So uh, carry on downloading, carry on liking, sharing. Spreading um, the words. Spreading the, the, the scuba word, environmental word and everything else. So thank you very much. If you're on our YouTube channel, A Big Chat, look it up, must subscribe. We need more subscribers. A Big Chat is on the YouTube channel. And if you want the full nine yard full um, episode, episode is the word we're looking for. Thanks, Gemma. Then you've got to go to the Big Scuba podcast, and that will be on Libsync, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. What we've got coming up is a really great guest. Her name is Samantha Craven, who's from Reef World. Samantha Craven is the program manager for Reef World. She's come on very kindly from the Philippines to talk to us about the initiative. Which is Green Things. So very important initiative. It's very important in the scuba world
2: yeah and if you listen all the way to the end there'll be links to where you can find out more and in the show note you'll see in the blurb in Spotify and iTunes
1: a lot of companies are using Reefworld and the Green Fins Initiative to tie in with their own environmental policies listen to what Samantha has to say so let's not hold things up anymore with me running on let's all jump in for the giant stride and go for a dive with Samantha Craven from Reefworld. World
0: Run. Hello. 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 Hi. Hello.
2: Hi. Okay, so Samantha Craven, you're from the Reef World Foundation, and you're our episode today. So thank you for joining us. Um, you're out in the Philippines, so we're kind of nine o'clock a.m. in the UK and it's 5 p.m. So it's a bit cooler in the day for you over there. So you are a marine biologist and you've been diving the reefs of Southeast Asia for over 19 years. Uh, In 2012, you turned your hobby into a career with the Reef World Foundation, uh, the international coordinators of the UN Environment Programme Initiative, Greenfins. As Programme Manager, Uh, You ensure the team and the programmes they take on are trained towards conservation impact and the charity's targets. You train and support governments, NGOs across 11 countries to drive sustainability within marine tourism industries. So you believe in the potential of the diving industry industry to truly role model sustainability and champion coral reef conservation globally. So probably some of our listeners would not have heard of Reef World. Do you want to just say how you kind of got involved in it and heard about Reef World? I guess most people won't have heard of Reef World, most
0: Many more people will have heard of Greenfins and sort of how they're related can be a little bit hard to untangle. So I'm sure we'll get into that as the podcast goes on. But World is a UK charity um, and it was incorporated as a charitable trust in 1999 and its roots are really in Thailand where our founder, Anne Miller, now Paranjoti, um, was finding ways to sort of build up the capacity of the community to really protect what are their own coastal resources. So she was actually teaching sort of local people how to speak English in order to be snorkel guides. And through that, also integrating some messages about protecting the environment and sort of, you know, what to do, what not to do when it comes to interacting on the reef, because not everybody knows what it is. And in particularly um, in in Southeast Asia, where we have so much it's very much a food source, and it's not necessarily something that gives you much more than that. People wouldn't know, um, especially back then. So, so that's really where where our roots come from, and we try and stay as true to that as possible. Now that you know how many years later, and it's it's grown considerably.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and in about 2008, I believe um, the UN Environment Programme initiated GreenFins in the Philippines and in Thailand. Um, and the government department they were working with in Thailand is called the Phuket Marine Biological Center. Mm-hmm. And Anne was already working with them on various other projects. And so to have someone who could speak to the foreign dive industry as well as the local dive industry was was a real asset there when we first started rolling Greenfins out. So that's sort of how green fi- um, Reef World first started to get involved with Greenfins, And then a couple of years later, um, going to UNEP's Southeast Asia headquarters in Bangkok, and saying, you know, countries need to be doing this. We can help bring it to those countries. We can help standardize this approach in a way so that people can recognize it between all these different countries. And then the rest, as they say, is history. That's us becoming their global technical lead for GreenFins, which means that we're working with governments around the world to use this approach to manage their marine tourism industry to learn new skills how to interact with a different stakeholder because you know government can be very focused and Mm -hmm. sometimes a little bit removed from the day-to-day of what's going on and the diving industry is the eyes on the reef you know they're there every day so can we combine forces and and do better
2: job at protecting the reefs. So how did you actually come to work for Reef World? Was it a job advertised or did you sort of see the work they were doing and wanted to work for them? I think it was the universe (laughs) pulling everything together. Our current directors
0: Chloe and JJ had been involved with Reef World for well since meeting Anne and and joining Reef World as as staff and um, they sort of had a side project, a sister company called Zooks, which was sort of filling a gap in marine conservation when you come out of university doing marine biology or something like that, you've got a lot of technical knowledge, you know what a reef is, you know how it works, but you might not have the skills to try and bring that across to people. Mm -hmm. So like a volunteer program was really about training people in the soft skills, the stuff that nobody really talks about when you're in formal education, but that are like super essential for actually making a difference and changing behaviors. And I was shifting from an environmental education job where I taught conservation um, mm-hmm. and eventually felt this real need to do conservation, even though I didn't really know what that meant, but just be involved in it. And I found Zoox and it seemed like a really nice segue into um, into it all. And it, it's the program at that time was in the Philippines and my parents, my mom's Filipino, my parents are here. So it seemed like a real easy step to take. And it was just fantastic. And we did a couple of weeks of training modules and sort of the bigger picture of marine conservation stuff that I wish that they'd taught us at university. And then when we went to do sort of the the skills side, the practical side, that was supporting Greenfin. So it was a way of getting boots on the ground while we were building up, while Reefworld was building the capacity of the government to do it. We were filling that gap with volunteers. And that was me. And after the eight week program, they hired me. So that That sort of all came together in a really unexpected way. A lot of people talk about having, you know, career goals and and all of that, which I think is really important. I think you do need a plan, but you also need to be open to opportunities as they come up. It
2: seems it happens a lot just through a few guests we've had. It just seems like things have just happened, not necessarily them thinking they're going to go down a path, but they've just happened for a reason and taken them, you know, to where they are today.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so great. <laughs> yeah. How many countries does the Reef Foundation, Reef World Foundation, cover now?
0: So we work with 11 countries to right. implement green fins. Mm -hmm. Um, It started off, of course, just with Thailand and the Philippines. And then we sort of brought in Indonesia and Malaysia, um, focusing very much on the Coral Triangle countries at the beginning, because, of course, that has the most reef, it has the most biodiversity, and also some of the busiest diving industries. Um, So it was a natural starting point. But very soon after, you know, spreading into the Indian Ocean with the Maldives, Palau in the Pacific... Egypt in the Red Sea, that was last year, I believe. Um, and then Antigua and Barbuda and the Dominican Republic over in the Caribbean. So
1: are you working with the liverboards, boards, liver boats?
0: Um, so the main focus so far has been the actual dive centers themselves. Yeah. Um, I think that is also due to the logistics of getting governments into a dive shop. And we'll, yeah. we'll talk about how they work, how membership works and everything, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and it's just a little bit more tricky with liverboards and jumping between boats and the time that that takes in order yeah. to sort of bring them on board. but we're starting to do that. We're working with Explorer ventures over in the mm. Caribbean and um, with Blue O2 and sort of their fleets. so it's we're finding ways to do it.
1: It's good to know you're, you're going out to them you're reaching out to them as well. So that's good, especially like people like Blue O2 and adventurers.
0: Mm. everybody eventually.
1: The Green Fin's initiative which is tied to the Reef World Foundation. What is the Green fins initiative and how did it begin?
0: So it started off as um, a UNEP initiative, United Nations Environment Programme. They created it as part of their regional SEAS programme. I mean, UNEP is very complicated in the way that they split up their work, but um, they basically had a programme that was looking at public-private partnerships. How do we bring the private sector um, together with the governments in order to protect biodiversity. Mm-hmm. And through the diving industry, we can do that with coral reefs. Um, so it, it began as a code of conduct from from UNEP. How should we, what are the best practices for interacting with the marine environment? And as ReefWorld came involved, um, through Ann Miller and the Phuket Marine Biological Association, we sort of started developing ways in which we could measure the effectivity of the code of conduct. How can we help people adhere to it more? You know, it's not just, here's what you have to do. Um, there needs to be support in terms of bringing people on board and how, I mean, if you, if you have good garbage management practices, what does that really mean? How can we break that down so it's bite-sized for people to actually implement it? Yeah. And then how do we find a way to measure if they actually are or not yeah Um, it's a good
1: point we we had john chatterton on yesterday who dived in the uh, bikini atolls and he was talking about the rubbish uh that was accumulating he'd found on some of the islands out there
0: it sounded horrific yeah Yeah. i mean it's 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 just growing and growing and growing isn't it it's not necessarily that the diving industry is creating the most impact to the marine environment or the most trash you know it's not that's not all coming from dive boats and liverboards, of course not but how can they role model being a successful and profitable business but also um not contributing to the detriment of their business asset? i love the the small initiatives that are popping up like the five minute beach cleanup um which you know you can post what you do collect in five minutes hashtag it and it's just a really nice way to show us that but we all have an impact we all use plastic and you know it's an essential material it's so long lasting but we can be a bit more aware of what we use in terms of single waste and how we manage that i think yeah. beach cleaning is great it's really it's low-hanging fruit to get people involved and sort of see what the issue is and you can't turn it off once you've been exposed to it it just keeps snowballing and you keep sitting so so yeah it's a really great way to start
1: going back to the uh, green fins and initiative what, what do you think was like the main sort of challenge?
0: Um, it's probably still the same challenge when we start in a new country, although it's it's shifting. We can see the shift in, in attitude towards it now. But um, in general, if you think about conservation, terrestrial management is pretty old. We've been hugging trees since the 70s, right? Or even beforehand. <laughs> yeah. um, but marine management... And the capacity of governments to manage the, the marine resources is is comparatively very young. I mean, the UK has only only started doing its marine conservation zones in sort of the 2000s or even the 2010s, you know. So it's right. even developed countries have been slow on the uptake. So our challenge is always going to be the capacity of the government staff that we're training to run green fins. They obviously need to be a diver and a pretty good one because you don't want them to be (laughs) assessing a dive shop and how they're protecting the environment and causing their own damage and and with governments that really takes time it takes time to put the infrastructure in place to train people up it took a lot of time to get people to realize that you know diving wasn't just a recreational thing for the staff to do that they it was essential for the job to be able to see monitor and and sort of really get in there in the marine environment or the coastal environments as well so I think building capacity is always going to take time but in the long run that's the most sustainable way to run the program we don't work in each of these countries we're a very small team we catalyze that action we go in and and train them and empower them and give them the tools and skills to to run it themselves and there is an element of standardizing you know Greenfin's has got to Implement the same standards across different countries. Yeah. But the way that the governments choose to run it, you know, it might be an environment department that adopts green fins, or it might be a tourism one. So they might have different ways of doing it. So our jobs sort of help reduce those barriers and build that capacity.
1: Do you find that some dive centres in some countries are easier to deal with?
0: Uh, Definitely, and I wouldn't say it's by country. I'd say it's very much by dive centre and and the decision maker, the owner or the manager, and what their attitude is. Um, I found that to be really critical to how they change their environmental policies and their day-to-day, the workings of the dive operator. And everybody's on a different journey to sustainability. I, I don't think anyone, I've never come across any dive shop that wants to harm the environment. There are people that don't want to prioritize it or don't necessarily care or know to care Um, luckily that is the minority most people do um, and within that group there's a huge range of attitudes you know they either see it as a marketing thing which with me it's fine as long as you're doing it yeah um, or it's something that's really embedded in the business model and and the assessors that we train the government staff and ourselves it's it's sort of our job to help them entangle that and and see how they can move forwards because we've not had anyone come on board with the perfect score that that does not exist there's always something to improve on so um it's dealing with a range of personalities for sure but but mostly towards the same goal people want to protect the environment they want profits to continue of course i mean that's Sustainability doesn't come without profits. People, planet, yeah. profit. I
1: was, so, I was wondering whether they kind of sort of see you as adding more red tape to their already sort of busy schedule and, and stuff, and they might be a bit, maybe a bit anti about another uh, body getting involved in their day-to-day business
0: and sure there's there's some people who feel that and they just don't get involved in the program it's it's voluntary right. so it's it's those that want us to take a step forwards yeah. and we try and make that as easy as possible and it's really done that like we train the assessors to do it in a very collaborative way it's not you do this you do that yeah. it's okay you've agreed to the code of conduct here is what we can highlight that you're doing really well here's our areas for improvement improvement how can that work for you it's not you must install an ashtray on your boat it's you know we saw someone not have anywhere to throw a cigarette what can you do and it's up to them they might want to put a no smoking policy on board or they might want to put an ashtray it's you can't assume that you know what's good for the business all you can do is highlight what the issues are and they've invited you to do that um, and then work together on what the solutions are and Mm -hmm. you know whether it's whether it's at the government level or the dive operator level, the more countries and operations that get involved, the more we have lessons to share. And so it becomes a lot faster because, you know, you can say, well, you know, we know of this dive center in this other country that tried it like this and it worked really well for them. Is that something that you would be open to? Um, So people really appreciate that, that they don't have to do all the heavy lifting and research. You know, the solutions got to be low cost, practical, and and easy to
2: implement do you find some dive centers the way they work is very ingrained so it's very hard to see progress quickly i don't think progress anywhere happens quickly um i don't think it's just with
0: the dive shops themselves um so the the assessors come back on an annual basis so we're able to monitor progress on that way um and i think in general, and this not this is not specific to the diving industry, but in general, when we try and change a behavior or we try and make a new habit, um, and especially when you're trying to get other people to do that. Knowing if they're sticking to it can be really tough. Um, So managers have said to us, for example, that they really appreciate having second eyes because they can't be in the water all the time with the guides. And, you know, if they've said we want to implement a no touch policy, but the guides have not been brought into that decision as strongly, how do we catch that? And if the assessor can help highlight where the messages are still falling through it's not oh you're doing it wrong or you failed like absolutely not it's you tried one way and we've seen that it's not completely effective and can we try again each year people only have to commit to three actions so it's not overwhelming it's three things to work on and you've got a whole year to really trial and error and 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 figure it out and if it doesn't work in the next year it's okay what ideas can we share from the network that will help you Mm -hmm. um it's not about shaming people, you know, it's about building capacity. It's about bringing people up and giving them the tools to do so. Um, so I think once you get the ball rolling and once people start seeing, OK, this works, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Like it only takes a few years before they've really hit all those really high risk points. Um, and and then they're well on the way to getting into the top 10 members, for example.
2: So um, do they have a list of things that they can choose the three uh, tasks from that they're going to action? Well, the, the master list is
0: the code of conduct mm-hmm. so that's 15 points of best practice for the environment above and below the water um, and within each code of conduct point there's criteria and it's ranked by its risks to the environment so <clears throat> anchoring poses the most damage to coral so that has a higher score than say um, not telling people about the protected area that's down the road. Which might also be in the code of conduct. So um, it's not choose from this Im- like immense laundry list of things to do. It's okay. Out of the highest risk points, here's where we see areas for improvement. What do you want to do about it? How can we help? Let's snowball some like some ideas around and just figure out what's going to work for that particular business. Mm-hmm physics isn't there to fix everything. And it's so very focused on the operator itself. But it does lead to this conversation or this um, channel of communication to decision makers that can highlight those issues that maybe someone who whose jurisdiction it is under can can start to deal with it.
2: Mm. And the assessors that go in on an annual basis, are they actual members of your team or are they outsourced? so they're the government department staff mm-hmm.
0: that has um decided to adopt GreenFins. and governments do that for a range of reasons like for palau we work with the bureau of tourism and sustainable tourism is obviously very very strong with them um and so they see green fins as a tool to support their other it- initiatives and in other countries it's the environment department and they're doing it for biodiversity reasons um recognizing more and more that Tourism is such an important tool to raise awareness for the environment. But if it's not managed properly, it can cause a lot of damage. And it's it's never just one person. I think this is the the shift in understanding that we've seen in the industry of, well, divers don't cause that much damage to, oh, yeah, it's not just me. Like if it's one of you and you're going to knock a piece of coral and that's one piece of coral, with one fin, one diver, that's not going to make a huge difference in in say compared yeah. to climate change but it's never one diver and it's never one fin and it's never one dive shop it's not. and it's it's one of the fast well it was one of the fastest growing tourism industries and i'm sure it will get back on its feet really quickly as well but um it's governments recognizing that that they need a way to manage it and and green fins we're showing can help with that
1: did a deliver board a couple of years ago and you do see people doing all sorts of stuff, don't you? You know, when you're out diving and the more the message can get out uh, through the liverboards, dive centres to the the tourists and what have you to, you know, and you think most people should know, but you kind of, that message does need to get out to them. So, you know, it sounds like you're doing a brilliant job, you know, to do that. How do you find, like, getting over such as the hurdle? There must be a lot of red tape, um, you know, the language barriers and stuff like that. How do you find, you know, dealing with that?
0: Well, I, I think that's the strength of working with government. Um, oh. That when we come in, it's because they've chosen to adopt the approach, and we've done the prep work with them, making sure they've got the resources, the infrastructure, the budget to be able to do it. Although Greenfin's is pretty cheap to to run in terms of government programs, which is which is great because it's another reduced barrier. Um, so. it's in that discovery phase that we kind of find all that red tape and look for it and try and see like is it actually red tape for us or is that something that can be used to leverage compliance to environmental laws um and you know working all of that out and the language barrier of course that's that's why there's such a strength in working with government because they are from that country and it's so much more effective when you deliver, like, the education to the staff in the cu- in the language that they're familiar with. Yeah. Um, these days, most will understand English to some extent to be able to deal with their guests. But you, you just see everybody light up even more when it is in their own language. So... Once we finish the assessor training, I mean, it's a pretty intense week. It's six days of theory and practical, and we go in and actually do assessments with them as part of that training. So they're pretty much good to go when um, when we leave. But, of course, we come back. We do it with them. Some do feel like they can just run on their own. Some really want us to come back um, and do the next year's assessments with them and before they feel comfortable with it. And it depends on the institution. It also depends on the people that you've trained. Um, But we stay involved with all the countries. We're not at a point in any of the countries where it's like completely hands-off. But what we aim to be at is a point of light touch where we're just maintaining the standards um, and Mm. and trying to bring the
2: whole world up to that level eventually. Slowly but surely.
0: Yeah.
2: Has it kind of blown your mind how it's kind of increased with obviously getting 11 countries now to where you were in the very beginning
0: yeah when I joined we were still at four countries um I wish I could say yes but I think that we've not really had the time to really stop and take it all in although you know our our directors are really good at, at, at giving us a pause and saying look at this um which is really nice but with it's just pretty full on and even with corona it's not really stopped we have so much development work going on behind the scenes um and and it's a team effort so you you never really think of your individual well i don't contribution i'm just like this is cool the team did this or this and this and that's um, good um so the next countries we expect on once we can travel again um japan japan was supposed to be around now ready okay. June
2: um, Timor-Leste I'm really excited about. Just back to you how did you begin your scuba diving journey what made you get into it was it part of your family life or was it kind of a revelation at some point that you thought oh, I'll give it a go?
0: Um, it, it's not such a big part of the family my dad was a big snorkeler, Um, but I never went with him I was too scared of the ocean when I was a kid and that was um, like I I grew up in Singapore. My mum's from the Philippines, so we were over here
2: mm-hmm.
0: fairly often to see family. And I'm really kicking myself as an adult for not being having the goal to see what the reef was like back then. But well, my dad was always, I always sort of saw him out with his with his hat snorkeling out there, and he would come back and tell me he saw an octopus or he saw this, and it would really freak me out, and I didn't want <laughs> to go in. Um, but when I was about eleven. Our school did a field trip to Malaysia, which is just a bridge away from Singapore. Um, we went to one of the islands and it was sort of a marine biology school trip, sort of an exploration. I remember we went snorkeling, we visited the mangroves. I saw a black tip reef shark um, and the whole class came back wanting to be a marine biologist. And that sort of never left me. And so when I was 16, my parents said, well, if you're serious about this, and I think they were hoping that I wouldn't be. <laughs> um, but you should be a diver. And and so we, I went and learnt to dive because I thought I was serious about it. My dad warned me because he had some diver friends. He's like, divers, they're a weird breed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I felt very at home within that community. So, um, yeah, I, I did my open water and advanced at 16. I don't think I'd recommend anyone jumping through the courses like that um but I sort of wanted to get some marine monitoring experience and figure out what is marine biology like what is it like I want to study the sea it's really cool but how um so yeah that was 2001. So
1: what level were you what, what level did you go did you, did you stick at advanced or? or I stuck at
0: advanced for a long time um and then a couple of years ago I did my rescue which was so much fun
2: yeah but
0: I, I don't well, think I'll go pro i mean i don't know where i would had the time at the moment um that was my initial plan i I was going to do my dive master before the or after the zooks program but they offered me their job so yeah
2: you can tell you obviously yeah very passionate about it and that's you know part of the thing about working but you've got to have a passion and enjoy it as well how how big is your team we are five people. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's um, and that, that I'm quite proud of, the reach that we have yeah. as a team of five. And we're just, we try and be as efficient as possible, whether that's with our own time or our funding, Um, really trying to stretch it very far, because all of us are really bought into, like our end goal is conservation impact. And, you know, we've got green fins to do that, but it's... Yeah it's really driving all of us and you know I've talked to people about marine biology or marine conservation careers and it's you know some people's dream job and I'd always say to people your dream job is still a job there's still things that I don't want me to do. no one wants to do a budget you know <laughs> no one wants to do the admin great grant proposals that's not what inspires me so you do need the the fieldwork time and you know working with the network we, we have some amazing people across the different countries who are working against the bureaucracy working with the diving industry and then and then there's the members themselves and what they're doing um it's all a nice big warm and fuzzy feedback loop for us yeah,
1: yeah. how do you how do you find things with the manufacturers you know because obviously they've got their part to play how do you find how do you find talking to them and getting them involved um you know how's that going
0: So it's nice that you asked that because that's sort of a relatively more recent focus of ours. Um, We do these sustainable diving events and workshops at um, some of the dive shows, so DEMA and ADEX. And, you know, we're talking to the industry, all aspects of the industry within those workshops and sort of saying, what do you need? And, And they were saying, well, we can get so far on our own, but we need you know, all these other manufacturers to sort of get on board when we're ordering and ordering in bulk and who are the manufacturers that, you know, are more sustainable or not. So, you know, for example, Fourth Element is one of our official symbiotic partners um, and they do amazing stuff just from the get-go. I mean, I'm a bit of a fangirl about them. They
1: are. They're a good company, aren't they?
0: Really nice to see an example of of sustainably, like, sustainability is such a pillar of the business you know it's yeah. something they don't compromise on so um like i really love the cassava packaging and sort of plastic and stuff like that so um bringing it back to what we're trying to do with greenfins and the environment standardizing that environmental messaging um, one of the code of conduct criteria is to have effective gloves policies so you know not allowing people to wear gloves in tropical yeah. environments encourages touching yeah. um, but of course you know There are more cold water environments as well, where that's you know, the code of conduct is really based around coral reef diving, so you can't ban gloves globally. I mean, Ian, your poor fingers (laughs) when you're diving in the UK.
1: I I do like my gloves in the uh, in the cold, cold water here, exactly,
0: And, and I would too. Um, but how do we make sure that for people buying new gloves, they know when's appropriate? to use them so you know we've got a little insert into their next um line of gloves which will explain you know hands off the reef and and stuff like that so
1: but then which really uh people like um o2 and the uh, the other liverboards um because one of the questions i was going to ask you you know how are you getting on with if the manufacturers are taking things on you know what about the tourist agencies but you know it's really got to drill down right down to people like o2 so when people and even uh the travel agencies so when you when people like me are booking holidays they know from the outset if you're going somewhere you know in the warmer climes you don't need gloves you don't need absolutely gloves. yeah
0: gloves
1: in the red sea um never need never needed them once and you know it's it's it's, it's all good yes less weight to pack it's less things to take you don't need them. You don't need to hold on to stuff because, you know, let's face it, your, your buoyancy should be there. So you don't need to hold on to stuff. And um, yeah, they they get get the companies to tell them right from the outset, from the booking. Don't need
0: gloves. It's a great minds think alike, Ian. <laughs> um, so we're in conversations I, with a few travel agencies um, and looking at well, we kind of came up with the phrase of the dive starts at home. So, what can you do in terms of packing and prepping for your trip? That it's already thinking about this stuff. And it's, you know, um, what kind of sunscreen are you bringing? Are you bringing a water bottle that you can refill? Um, are you leaving your gloves behind because you're going to a tropical destination? So, what are the things that we messages that we can get in front of tourists before they even get on the yeah. on the plane and or wh- whatever there is they're getting to the dive site? Um, and it, really as long good. as you're thinking about it the whole way you're going to be doing a better job than you were previously so so yeah
2: for sure but if somebody was thinking about going on holiday have you got a list of people that have signed up to the code of conduct so that they know they're going to go to kind of a sustainable type of dive center
0: Yes, yeah, so each each dive center that signs up and pledges to follow the code of conduct as best that they can is called a Greenfins member, and you can go and find a list of that by country and by site on Greenfins.net. So, I mean, that would be my number one tip for for mm. divers to book with a Greenfins member. Um, the top ten are the best performing ones, so they've got a special section on the website, and they're the ones who, through the assessment, we've seen are implementing the environmental practices like most effectively. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's that would be my big tip to tourists: vote with your wallet, yeah. um, support people who are protecting the environment, because if you want to go diving next year and the year after that, and the year after that, <laughs> or snorkeling even, you know, you. are you're going to have to trust the people on the ground to be looking after those those environments. Um, so, you know, nobody's perfect and even Greenfin's members, like every day is different. Every guest is different. It can all be a challenge. Um, so, you know, use your head as well. Are people fish feeding? That's probably not a good idea. Don't support that. Um, are guides giving you more environmental information are they telling you a bit more about the creatures are they sort of explaining to you what stuff is like are they correcting you underwater you know if you've we're not always watching our fins Uh, buoyancy is supposed to be good but you can get very excited about different marine life and that can really distract you so you know tip the guides that are helping you be a better diver instead of the ones that are rummaging around in the reef trying to get you um the best view of that that little critter you know yeah
2: um
0: and I think the, the other thing is to be open like collaborate don't be smug everybody's on their own journey so be friendly when you're educating people and you're a guest you can just um yeah really try and role model the behavior that you want and work together
2: mm. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, obviously, you've mentioned Fourth Element. Um, they're an official partner of Reefworld. Do you kind of look to manufacturers, like talking to them at the shows to try and bring more on board with the Green Fins Initiative in particular? or? Well, Green Fins isn't
0: an entity, right? It's it's an initiative. So the partnership is with Reefworld, and, and we call these sort of more... Um, Industry level partnerships are symbiotic partners. So, in the natural environment, symbiosis is when two animals are working together and they have mutual benefits from that association. So, think clownfish and the anemone, cleaner fish and the reef on the fish, uh, fish on the reef, as it were. (laughs) Um, So, in our partnerships, we are looking for those opportunities where there can be mutual benefit, where it's not just necessarily a financial contribution to the charity, but can they give us access to their networks and and things like that, as you say? And also very important in return, is there a positive influence that we're being invited to have on on their supply chains or their business models and things like that? So, yeah, it's about meeting these people and manufacturers, finding the right person on the right mission at the right time um, and making something come out of that.
2: Yeah. So in terms of things like packaging, because I think Fourth Element, they were trying to sort of get rid of all their single use plastic by Ocean Day uh, later on in the the middle of the year. So in terms of the manufacturing and packaging of products, is that something that you kind of talk to them about? I think they were very much on that journey already, Fourth Mm -hmm. Element. Um, So
0: I definitely don't want to be taking credit for that because they've they've been sort of edging towards that for a long time. Um, we can have that kind of influence within our other partners, for example, Blue O2, um, looking at their wider company sustainability strategy and trying to create realistic targets to move away from single-use plastic and trying yeah. to share the resources that we have with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's I'm not going to say we're going to go out with every manufacturer and say, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's, it's going to be... What are the opportunities that come up at the time um, where they have their own, you know, the company has their own internal infrastructure that's ready for that and ready to move towards that. And then we really can help push that. Or can we help get them ready for those kind of messages as well? So um, at the moment, we're five and, and we're being very efficient and opportunistic
2: with those kind of opportunities. What are your top tips for people that are thinking about going, travelling, going to a dive centre? So we've obviously said about being conscious of Greenfin members, but have you got any other top tips that people should consider in view of, you know, the whole sustainability side of things if they're going somewhere like the Philippines or, you know, onto a reef uh, environment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said,
0: the first one would be look for greenfins members. Um, I think we talked about tipping guides, snorkel or dive guides that are helping you protect the environment and having those conversations with you. Um, for divers in particular, do a weight test if it hasn't if you haven't been diving for a while. I mean, yeah. um, that can be one of the biggest challenges that we especially for me, I've, I've found going from Dive Center to different countries. Is it pounds? Is it kilos? How can I remember this? I'm renting this wetsuit and it's dry and it's different. And, you know, or I got a new piece of kit or my fins are heavier now. I don't know, like things change. So really nice to ask to do a weight test and to ask your guide to look out for you. I mean, there it's a customer service industry. So, you know, explain what service that you do want. Um, I'd also really recommend people working on their buoyancy so i mean that's hand in hand with the weights but um doing anything you can peak performance buoyancy and you know the equivalents in other agencies are really fun courses to do people can do it with hoops and all sorts of stuff it can be really fun um and i i guess touching back to you're not just one diver you're you're representing humanity when you go underwater so be aware of that there's many things i would love to touch underwater and actually you know what in all honesty i did i used to i was a terrible amateur photographer i didn't know and i didn't think like there was such a i was in my bubble of this is cool and i want to do this and i want to see this and i want this photo um and i started moving away from that even before i found GreenFins, but of course once I did find green fins, even more so, um, but it took someone calling me on it to sort of remove that, that wool over my eyes as yeah. it were. So find ways to do that yourself. Um, it, it took me a long time to realize I'm one of a hundred thousand divers that are going to visit this reef in a year. So if if I'm doing something that's causing damage to the animals on the marine environment, and coral is an animal, um, what are we all doing? So trying to think of your place in that and taking a bit of responsibility. But um, if people go to greenfins.net, we've got tons of posters, icons, like visual things that are sort of showing people what, what behaviors um, and what activities should and shouldn't be yeah. sort of done when you go. Our sort of catchphrase for Greenfins is we want to make sustainable diving the social norm, and that speaks to everything that you were saying. Is you've got to have these messages coming in from from different areas, and it's not like oh we know what to do. That's better. It's is just the reality of interacting with a natural environment that is fragile. I mean, it's very resilient, but it needs it it needs to be dealing with less in the face of climate change, oh, and and we can do that with with diving and um, I think you're right. The more people know what to expect, the easier it is to manage them. And it is it is so effective. Um, we always tell the guides, you know, in your briefings, just include that you might correct them or help them with their buoyancy if you see that a diver yeah. isn't. So that when, you know, you feel a tap on your shoulder or on your ankle and the guide sort of lifting your fins up, you you know what there's com- what that's coming yeah. from. Um, and the briefings especially is one of the biggest tools that a dive guide has.
2: So anybody that hasn't heard of the Reef Foundation or the Green Fins Initiative, where is the best place for them to go to get some information to start with, just so they get get a basic understanding?
0: Um, I'd say start with Green Fins, that's greenfins.net, that will give you the list of members, um, those materials that I was talking about that would give you ways to protect the reef when you're doing it. Um, if you want to find out about Reef World that's reef-world.org or mm. um, just look for Reef World and Green Fins on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter as well. Right
2: okay and there's a free uh, e-course I think isn't there is that the Green Fins Dive Guide can people just log on and do things like that online?
0: <sighs> yes yeah, so the Green Fins Dive Guide e-course is our
2: first sort of foray into
0: online um, courses and that's only going to increase more. I mean, we were on that path anyway. Corona has just accelerated it. Um, But that's really targeted at dive professionals, instructors and guides Mm -hmm. as a way of breaking down the code of conduct that really relates to their side of the job. So that's hosted on PSS's evo platform and it's free to take so the information is always going to be free and yeah. if you want to support the course and get a certificate then it's 19 pounds for a certificate with the UNEP logo and you know it's personalized your name and everything so we've okay. got dive centers displaying that for all their stuff which is really nice
2: yeah and that's something we can you know help promote as well yeah podcast yeah so have you got a dive location that's on your bucket list or wish list to go to and why well, I think the
0: podcast is going on a bit long to go through the whole list. <laughs> um, I'd say my number one was uh, Tabutaha Reef here in the Philippines, which is a very well protected and remote area that's only accessible by liverboard, which I was supposed to be in this week for oh, the no. first time in my life. Um, so that remains top of the bucket list.
1: So really, we just twisted the knife a little bit then, really.
0: <laughs> I'm OK. I made my piece. <laughs>
2: Okay. <laughs> for the good of all yes, yes. <laughs> it will happen eventually that's the way to look at it exactly have you got a favorite marine animal and why also a very long list
0: um <laughs> i think in more recent years it's been the uh, harlequin shrimp I really like them so they're um just a little shrimp that live mostly in places with mud diving where you're you know there's no reef and they are just looking for little critters in the sand uh-huh. and they seem to always be in pairs they have this beautiful coloring and they like to rip the arms off of sea stars and eat Nuts. them so like <laughs> i find them very intriguing
1: it's a fishy fish world
0: <laughs> isn't it, it is. it's
1: always big fish <laughs> oh it's me right name up the three people past or present um doesn't matter really who you could take diving or for snorkel so a non-diver or diver and um who would you take and they can be a celebrity someone from the past can you name three people
0: i've been thinking about this question and really trying not to say david attenborough (laughs) (laughs) um so i would love to dive with um a lady called christina figueres who was leading the UN body that was dealing with climate change, and she was sort of head of the ship when the Paris Agreement happened. And they actually managed to make a decision, so I think it would be really interesting to spend some time with her. I would um, I, I spent a lot, yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about this one actually, um, and couldn't really decide on celebrities. So I thought, my mum has never been diving in the Philippines. Wow, she's been for snorkel, but um, Filipinos are not so. Um, interested in sort of snorkeling and 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 diving and I think that's it's a real shame so I'd love to show her that.
1: That's cool good.
0: And then lastly it would be my best friend from the job in Singapore. Um, We've been living other sides of the world for a number of years now but that was my favorite dive buddy experience where you can kind of just communicate you know when you don't you don't have to sign you kind of just know what each other's thinking or what creature you want to look at next it was just very seamless diving right. with her so so she would be my third brilliant good
2: choice <laughs> um what's your number one piece of dive equipment that's your favorite and why okay. A question. A
0: question. um me I'll do a greenfin dorky answer for you um, myself, because buoyancy skills are absolutely critical to, well, the future of my favourite hobby. Good.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. Good answer. We hadn't had that one before. So, yeah, nice one. OK, last question. If you could put something on a billboard, metaphorically speaking, non-commercial, whether it be a statement, image, a question or a quote, just anything to get that message out there to the billions of people to say something is there anything that comes to mind
0: can i have a pre-corona and post-corona option (laughs) because i think they would be different now i think before it would have been about we don't have to do everything when it comes to sustainability but we do have to do something you have to start somewhere so um just start maybe um just what sorry just start right get on that journey but with corona and you know we spoke about this a lot throughout the podcast of what do we want the future to be so before we go back to normal can we have a think about what we want normal to be
1: well this is it Mm -hmm. do do we go back to normal or do we move on to something new you know it affects all sorts of things affects cars business anything exactly
2: We're, we're always saying that we want time to stop to think and we've got the perfect opportunity now. Yeah. Yeah. We also have to survive.
0: So, you know, there's a lot of like mental pressure and just getting through this time. So I think it, a lot of people haven't found as much time to think as possible, but mm. I do think we have a responsibility as we start to step out of it and different countries are now to define our new normal, to choose it instead of it being just the status quo. Awesome. Thank you guys. Brilliant.
1: That's yeah, no. good about this
0: time. No, thank you for yours.
2: Yeah. Have
1: a good day. Okay. Samantha. Bye, Samantha. Bye. Bye. Well, that was really brilliant. That was great. I've enjoyed that. What about you, Gemma? Yeah,
2: amazing. Very
1: informative. Uh, thanks a lot, Samantha, for sharing all that with us. Uh, for you listening at home, um, you know there's three things that we've learned from our time speaking with Christina Sonato. One thing that we've learnt is one is explore. Diving is all about exploring. You know, Gemma, we're going to go out there. You're going to see different parts of the world and d- different dive sites. The second one Christina says is to educate. So once we've been out there and we've found these lovely uh, places of the world and oceans, is to then educate. You know, tell the people about it but also what ties in with that is then conservation being mindful of how we behave as divers mm. to make sure that those areas are being looked after hope you all enjoyed that anything else to add, Gemma
2: yeah people go to the website there's lots of resources there's things forms to fill in there's surveys to do there's just a lot to learn about Reef Welding.
1: that's it for me I hope you enjoy the episode over to you Gemma
2: well episode 15 will be out in a week's time another exciting right. one
1: Wonder who's on you'll have to tune in (laughs) (laughs) thanks for me thank you very much
2: okay goodbye everybody bye